Some say that alongside this see-it-to-believe-it world is the shadowy realm of the supernatural. Sometimes the residents of that dimension touch us, and in one moment, our lives are changed forever. America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, Mary Ann Pohl, is your real ghost chatter host. On this podcast, you'll hear stories by real people who have seen real ghosts. Once in a while, Mary Ann will podcast a tale taken from the genre she loves best, the supernatural. Welcome to today's Real Ghost Chatter episode. I'm Mary Ann Paul, America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, a charter member of Author Masterminds, and your host on Real Ghost Chatter. If you are enjoying Raven's Cove and would like a signed copy, you can purchase it or any of the other books of the Iconoclast series at www.maryannpoll.com. Here's the next chapters from Raven's Cove. If you are at home, grab your favorite drink and settle into your favorite listening spot. If you're on the road, please stay safe. In either event, enjoy. Chapter 24, Out of the Ashes. Paul's heart pounded in his chest when he realized the direction of the smoke and light. Please, God, please, not the church. He broke into a full run. He reached the street where the small house of worship sat. It was his church. It was burning. Worse, a mob stood in front of the cheering with each snap of a burned beam. Paul's heart broke. His resolve broke with it. Why, God, why? He whispered, tears running down his face. Have I been so wrong in your calling? The crowd pushed in on him. He knew these people. They were parishioners of the Congregational Alliance, each and every one. The victorious gleam in their eyes said it all. No reason to stay now, is there, Pastor? Gary, the librarian's assistant, spat at him. We'd help you pack up the church, but there isn't much left, so it should be easy for you and your wife to get out of here, Irwin yelled. Bart assessed the crowd. He knew a mob mentality, and he knew Paul was in physical danger. The hatred in these people was alive. He put himself between Paul and the throng. Ken came up and stood beside him, his gun drawn. The crowd stopped moving forward. Ken held out Bart's 357. Forgot to give you this earlier. Cat thought you'd want to have it. Thanks. Bart holstered his weapon. He looked into the mob. What is wrong with you people, he yelled. This man is a member of our town. He has been here for months. What has he done to you? He lies. All he preaches is guilt and fear, Irwin screamed. He's not welcome in this town. Not your call, Irwin. The horde pushed forward. Bart and Ken held their ground. A rock whistled past Ken's ear. Ken fired a shot into the air. Bart stayed Ken's hand. You people go home before something happens we all regret. No one moved. Get out of here or so help me, I will arrest each and every one of you right here, right now. Grandma Brick and Cat and a few members of Paul's church stepped out of the shadows. They stood unified with Ken and Bart. Paul prayed. The members of his church joined him, holding hands, bowing heads. A small dirt cloud rose up in front of the angry mob. It started twirling. 
As it did, a cold breeze began to blow. The wind increased in strength until the throng could no longer hold their ground. Irwin fell backward. Gary followed. It was like life-size dominoes. One by one, the mob toppled, falling into the person behind. The dirt cloud vanished as fast as it appeared, and the wind stopped. Confused and frightened, the crowd scattered. Does freak weather occur here often? Ken spoke to Bart out of the side of his mouth. Nope. Sometimes, God answers prayer in a way no one can dispute. I believe it's called a miracle, Grandma said. The fire department arrived, yanked the hoses from the truck, and sprayed the structure, now completely engulfed in flames. Tears again streamed down Paul's face. Why, God, have you allowed the evil foe to destroy this place of worship? Why have you allowed the Congregational Alliance to prosper when they, indeed, serve Satan? Bart overheard Paul's plea. Sadness, then anger, gripped his heart. He placed a hand on Paul's shoulder. Until the fire is out and we can assess the damage, there is nothing you can do. Why don't you come with us? Paul lifted his red, tear-stained eyes to Bart's clear, angry ones and nodded. He, Ken, and Bart turned from the wreckage of Paul's treasured little church. Walking toward Maine and past his churchgoers, Paul overheard them discussing where to hold their next service and how to recover from the loss. God's promise to make bad work for the good of his beloved children hit Paul like the proverbial brick. The fire and frightening mob emboldened his small congregation, bringing them even closer together. His spirit lifted. Paul fell to his knees and called out to the church members, Come, join me in prayer. The small group gathered around Paul, then knelt. Dear God, you have brought this church family together in only a way you can. Please grant us the grace and wisdom to forgive these people, dear Lord, and we ask you forgive them too. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, the little gathering echoed. Paul stood. He strode over to Ken and Bart. It's time to bring this battle to our enemy. He's messing with the wrong church. He's messing with the wrong town, Bart answered. Then let's go get some well-needed, even if they aren't believable, answers, Ken said. Chapter 25, Legend or Truth? Bart grabbed the keys from his desk drawer and walked down the narrow hall to the cell. Josiah stood at the barred door, waiting expectantly. Bart motioned Josiah away from the door and unlocked it. He turned and headed back to the main room of the office. Josiah followed. Mr. Williams, I need you to tell us what you know about the chaos erupting in Raven's Cove. I believe you know the answer. Your real question is, how do we stop it? Back to the confounded legend, is it? The truth is the truth. In order to fight this thing, though, we must first get more information from Elise Bricken. Bart's brow furrowed. Grandma Bricken, how do you know her? I have not met her. I was told about her in a dream. She holds the key to victory. Really? Ken said, yes. Well, we don't have time to debate this one. Last I saw her, she was praying with Pastor here. Bart pointed his thumb toward Paul Lucas and other churchgoers. Then we go there. Josiah Williams grabbed his hat, plopping it atop his head. Cat saw them coming before Grandma did. Now what? Grandma put her hand on Cat's upper arm. I believe they are here for me, Katrina. She stiffened and took in a deep breath. She did not know the man beside Pastor Paul, but she had seen him in a dream. She passed the vision off as an old woman's fancy and forgot about it until now. 
She released Kat's arm and stepped forward to greet them. Why don't we go to my house and I'll make some tea? Kat stared at her grandmother in shock and disapproval when Elise linked her arm through Josiah's as if she'd known him all of her life. Elise Bricken motioned for the others and Kat to follow. There's a lot I need to tell you, Josiah Williams, Grandma Bricken said, smiling into his eyes. Josiah patted her hand. Indeed there is, Miss Elise. Indeed there is. Curiouser and curiouser, Kat said to Bart as they followed the duo up Main, left on Willow and right on Wild Rose to Grandma's Immaculate Cottage. After she finished pouring tea in her best company cups, Grandma Bricken set the canary yellow and cream-colored teapot in the middle of her large round table. I believe you know the story, she spoke to Josiah alone. Yes, ma'am. Well, the part of the story kept secret in my family for as long as it has been passed down is the way to stop this thing and send it back to hell where it belongs. Kat's eyes opened in surprise. Hell was another word, no matter the context, not used in Grandma's presence. Even when trying to discuss Dante's Inferno, Grandma would not allow her granddaughter to use the word. Made for a more difficult than normal discussion, Kat thought. Grandma patted Kat's hand, knowing she shocked her granddaughter. I'm not always as prim and proper as I seem, Katrina. Why kept secret, Josiah asked. In the wrong hands, the way to destroy this thing could be used to keep it here. I see. The demon has a pet, for lack of a better term. It is his lure, and it is dangerous. Looking into its pulsing lights is hypnotic. Once spellbound, it wounds the unsuspecting victim and takes possession of its prey. This pet must be taken from Iconoclast. If they are separated, Iconoclast's power diminishes. More importantly, if this thing is taken from Iconoclast, he loses his reign over all the land under his dominion since the fall of man. If he holds on to it, then he will obtain his fifth victim, and he will destroy this town and anything living in or around it. This is bad enough. But if he succeeds here, then he will be powerful enough to do this all over the world, wherever he has dominion. And how are we supposed to get this pet? Bart asked. Grandma Bricken shook her head. The legend doesn't say, but I'm praying God makes the way. In Jesus' name, Paul answered. I am more troubled by the final warning in the legend, Grandma Bricken added. Things can get worse, Kat asked. Yes, the tale says one destined to be God's almighty child must be lured by the pet to be the fifth victim. It must be a soul snatched from the very hand of God. I don't know how this thing could ever get a fifth victim then. God's people are never taken from God's hand, Paul said. I know, Pastor. Yet Iconoclast must believe there is a way, or he wouldn't keep trying. Hopefully, Iconoclast's arrogance will be his downfall, Josiah said. I do pray you are right, Mr. Williams, Grandma Bricken answered. To continue, this pet's attachment to Iconoclast is why he is allowed to continue to reside on this earth instead of the abyss where he belongs. Most concerning, though, is Iconoclast has never taken four victims before. This is the closest he has ever gotten, at least from all the history handed down. This peculiar posse, brought together by the events of the last 24 hours, sat in silence. The weight of her words lay heavy on each of their hearts. Cat broke the silence. When I brought up the legend to you, Bart, two days ago, I didn't know what I was saying. I know, Bart answered. If you had told me when I got here I would be in a battle with a nightmare, I would have left and never returned, Ken said. You can still leave, FBI, Cat answered. Ken's eyes locked on Cat's. 
I have never run from a fight with a bad guy. I'm not starting now. Even when the bad guy isn't flesh and blood, Josiah asked. Even then. Neither have I, Bart said. Then we're agreed, Grandma Bricken answered. Let's take this battle to the enemy and take it to him where he lives. Chapter 26, A Woman Scorned. Reverend Plotno stood outside his beloved domain, smiling with satisfaction while he watched the firelight illuminating the dark sky. To him, the smoke smelled like a pleasant cologne. His smile widened. Goodbye to you, Paul Lucas, and to your insignificant church. Goodbye. He clapped as if applauding an outstanding performance before turning and marching into the Congregational Alliance to light incense and praise the guardians for his victory. His obligatory thanksgiving, the right Reverend Plotno stood once again on the steps of his small kingdom, overlooking the destruction of Paul Lucas's church. The odor of burnt wood drifted to his nostrils. He sighed in satisfaction. So close behind him it might as well have been one with the Reverend, stood a Traumatos, who grew even darker and stronger with the destruction of the tiny house of worship. He too smiled. Anita jogged up the steps, breathless from the excitement of the night's events. Isn't it wonderful, she whispered, while sliding her hand into Plotnos, giving it a slight squeeze. It is indeed. I haven't been this happy since... He furrowed his brow, then held up an index finger, since before Paul Lucas invaded our town. Anita put her free hand in her coat pocket, feeling for the present prepared for Plotno. He coveted a good cigar, and Anita knew the one he favored. She bought it for him while in Anchorage a few months back. A gift of her heart, she told herself. At the time, Anita didn't know it would turn out to be a gift of his heart as soon as he smoked the love potion-laced cigar. Her spell excited her more because she knew he thought her adult. He believed he controlled her. For a while he did, a memory she detested. Tonight, my love, the tables will be turned, she thought. Anita disobeyed his command to go to the small, awful church and spy on the small, awful congregation. Instead, she went to her basement. Rebellion and secrecy were an intoxicating elixir. When practicing the black arts, the intoxication became so intense, she could only equate it to having finally made love to a long-forbidden foe. She first considered grit in the potion, but thought better of it. It would darken the tobacco leaves, and he might become suspicious. Anita rifled through her medicine cabinet and uncovered an ancient syringe. She injected the concoction into the center of the tightly rolled leaves. She watched with deep satisfaction as the potion disappeared into the tobacco, hidden just as it should be. Reverend, this is a present I have kept for you for such a special occasion as this. Plotno took his eyes off the orange glow and the black smoke billowing up as the water poured out the fire. He looked at the offering from Anita. A broader smile crossed his face as he thought of the anger this would cause his wife, Ransom. You are a treasure. You understand our core ideology. What feels good is good. That wife of mine has never understood me like you do. She still worries about my health of all things. So short-sighted. But you understand the need for pleasure. I try, Anita whispered. You succeed. Plotno took the cigar, searching his pants pocket for a lighter. Here you go, Anita produced one. The lighter glinted golden black in his hand. His initials were carved into it, the black absorbing the light. You thought of everything, he said, as he flicked the lighter open, puffed the cigar until the tip glowed red, and took a deep inhale. He exhaled and looked down at Anita. What a wonderful end to a wonderful day. Profligacy went to work, whispered into his mind. 
She is the loveliest thing you have ever seen, Plotno. Forget your wife. This one knows what you love, and she loves what you do. Feel the craving for her growing in your gut. She is your obsession. You must have her. Plotno grabbed Anita around the waist. I want you, and you know it. I can't wait any longer. Anita smiled, took Plotno's hand, and led him into the Congregational Alliance. I know just the place. It will be delicious. The door closed, and a traumatist settled in to watch. Vinernos flew up beside Profligacy. Good work. As always, Profligacy answered. Vinernos sneered in satisfaction. All to be done now is alert the wife. Said and done. Profligacy called to the demon Parlos, stationed at Plotno's residence. Now we wait, Vinernos said. Why do I feel like I must go to the Congregational Alliance? Mrs. Plotno asked herself. She fought the urge, not where I want to be. I despise the place. She shook her head to try and clear the urgent need to go. It's not because I don't love and take pride in Martin's stature in the community, but I have better things to do with my time than sit there and listen to him expound on feeling good and watching those Congregational Alliance groupies fall all over him. I get enough of his preaching at home. I'll bake a cake. That always gets my mind off something. Ransom headed for the kitchen. Grab a knife. Something is wrong. Martin's in danger, said the voice of Parlos in her head. Terror gripped Ransom Plotno's stomach. Martin is in trouble. She yanked open the knife drawer and bolted to the living room. She grabbed her purse and threw on a coat. Ransom dashed up the street, butcher knife in hand toward the church to save her Martin. Plotno and Anita were entwined in front of the Congregational Alliance's shiny, ornate altar. Now isn't this the best place to make our love commitment? Anita whispered in his ear, feeling his heart racing against hers. Mm. Plotno and Anita were so engrossed in each other, they didn't hear the door of the church open. In his haste, the right reverend neglected to lock it. Ransom Plotno stopped mid-stride, grabbing the church door before it slammed. It took her a minute to believe what she saw. Truth flooded her. Rage filled her heart and mind and propelled her forward. The butcher knife flashed when she pointed at her target. She did not see people as she ran toward the object of her rage, only the horror of being deceived and humiliated for so long. The first blow felt great. Blood spurted from Martin's neck. He fell atop Anita. Anita screamed as she watched Martin's blood fly in the air from the knife. Ransom raised the blade over the helpless Anita. Anita watched the knife's rapid descent toward her right eye. She stopped screaming. Martin fought a little longer, but in the end, he too lost the battle against the devoted wife turned assailant. Ransom Plotno stared down at the bloody heaps on the floor and commented, Looks like a bad load of laundry. She raised her voice until it echoed off the stone walls. That's exactly what you are, Martin Plotno. A bad load of laundry. Farewell and good riddance. Ransom walked calmly down the aisle to the door, then turned back. Knifing you felt great, Martin, just like you always preached. Sorry I didn't listen to you sooner. Holding the knife high, she broke out in wild laughter at her own joke and burst through the doors of the Congregational Alliance Church. Miggy blocked the staircase to the street. Oblivious to the ghastly sight of Miggy Salisto, she grinned at him. Miggy smiled back, vacant sockets squishing the purple and black mixture from his eyes. Well done, Ransom Plotno. You sure took your time giving the no-good jerk what he deserved. Ransom lowered the knife to her side. You're sure right. There are more who should meet the same fate tonight, don't you think? Ransom nodded. I can come up with several members of this pack. I'd like to see bleeding to death and hear screaming in terror. Several women come to mind, she mumbled, running a finger along the blade's edge. Yes, 
Many of them need to meet my new friend, she said, unaware the blade cut deep into her thumb, causing the flesh to lay open and bleed freely. First, you need to meet my friend. He is most anxious to know you. Ransom tensed and turned her dead eyes to Miggy's vacant ones. It's okay, he's your pal too. In fact, he's the one who sent one of his soldiers to tell you about this tryst, so you could set things right once and for all. Ransom stood, torn between finishing her bloodbath and going to see the supposed ally. He is very powerful. He can help you destroy the others. You don't have to do everything alone anymore. Oh, I like that idea. Take me to him. Joe, returning from the tragic fire at the small church she loved, saw a sight horrifying her beyond words. God help us. She ducked behind the Congregational Alliance's wall and peeked around the corner. Ransom Plotno stood under a streetlight in front of the church. Maroon stripes covered her arms and the front of her legs. Small red droplets adorned the front of her clothes and streaked her dark, cherry, Kool-Aid-colored hair like macabre highlights. Looks like a bad paint job, Joe thought. A large butcher knife, shining with the same blood-red liquid, hung at Ransom's side. Ransom carried on an animated, one-sided conversation. She sauntered out from under the light, still talking to her unseen companion. When Joe could see her no longer, she came out of hiding and made her way to the bottom of the church stairs. It's blood sure as life. She lifted her eyes and saw footprints of scarlet leading from the church to the streetlight. She darted for the sheriff's office. A traumatist smiled as he watched Joe skittering like a scared rabbit toward her destination. Run, little rat, run. The sheriff will do you no good. The plan is coming together nicely. I can already taste the feast being prepared for me and all of Iconoclast's soldiers. He pulled away from the church door, no longer needing to guard it, and slithered up beside Ransom, flanking her on the left, Miggy still on her right. Miggy nodded to a Traumatus. This is a Traumatus, Ransom, one of your many new friends. Hello, Ransom said. Good evening, madam. I am pleased to meet you, a Traumatus answered. A Traumatus studied the blood-covered late reverend's wife. More pleased than you could ever know. A Traumatus narrowed his eyes and thought, you have no idea what horrors await you but you are a pivotal player in Iconoclast's plan, and I am going to get you safely to the ravine and your eventual destruction. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to share it with others you think would also be interested. If you'd like to know more about me, go to maryannpoll.com and or authormasterminds.com forward slash mary ann dash P-O-L-L. Until next time, may the wind always be at your back, the sun on your face, and the good Lord walk beside you.